It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, January the 22nd, 2017. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva, here, and you can check out the show all the time at MetsMarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. You can check me out, of course, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If there's one that I'm not on and you want me to be on, listen, I probably can figure out a way to get there. So I just want to make this easy for you guys to listen to the program. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, obviously, the Hall of Fame announcements. Congratulations, Tim Raines, Jeff Bagwell, uh, Pudge Rodriguez. So I thought that uh, we hit the nail. Bob Clappish was on last week. We hit the nail on the head, kind of where things were going. Looks like Vlad Guerrero and Trevor Hoffman will probably get in next year. You have Chipper Jones next year. So um, that's that for the Hall of Fame. So we move on. And right now you're in that gap of news between the end of the hot stove in the off season and spring training, pitchers and catchers, which is just a couple of weeks away. Sometimes in free agency, like Jose Batista just signed, sometimes there is some news and there's some uh, discussion to have. If you were the or- if you're an Orioles fan or a Blue Jays fan, I'm sure they were debating and discussing guys like Trumbo and Batista who just signed. Um, if you're a Mets fan, I think you're just looking at what the Mets can do to shore up the bullpen. I think the roster is what it is. I think Jay Bruce and, and Bob had said this last week, probably will be on the roster come spring training. I think that's a fluid situation that the Mets are going to try to extract as much value as they can from Bruce. I hope it doesn't get, and it feels like it's going towards the same realm as Ike Davis. Now, Bruce is such a better player than Ike Davis, more of a resume than Ike had at the time, but they're very similar in terms of the kind of player they are. Not the same position, power guys, lefty power guys who have some limitations, uh, especially against left-handers, especially considering that they're looked at as maybe risky because of who they are. So, you know, the Mets didn't really get a lot for Hank Davis. And I said this earlier in the offseason, so sometimes it depends. And if it, and, I, and I criticize Sandy Alderson for a lot of things, but overall he's done an outstanding job, and that's really what the point of this program is when it comes to the farm system. But – um if you you know the the rumor always was that the Mets were offered Zach Britton for Ike Davis and they turned it down for the Orioles. Who knows if that's indeed but what was? Because sometimes players are mentioned, and and they're mentioned doesn't mean that they were close to a deal. But hopefully that's not the situation here with Bruce, where the Mets had an opportunity to really upgrade the bullpen, what a what a what a, what a good upside righty reliever, and they elected to hold on to Bruce. But you have to really trust. Sandy Alderson and how he's run this organization. He doesn't make every decision in the sense where he's not drafting or scouting every player, but he certainly set up a foundation and a crew and a team that has a philosophy. And part of that philosophy, and that's the point of this program, is the farm system and having a strong farm system, not only with high upside players that come in, because he inherited a lot of those guys from uh, Omar Manaya, but he also acquired a few of those guys with the assets that he acquired for Omar Manaya, But the criticism has been that Sandy Alderson did not draft Matt Harvey, did not draft Jacob deGrom, did not um, draft Noah Syndergaard. He acquired him. You know, Steven Matz was, of course, drafted during the Manaya regime. So he's been getting credit for stuff that really wasn't his. And, and Omar liked to let everybody know during the World Series in 2015, he'd look his little lap and bow because it changes the way his regime was viewed, whereas it was never about drafting and player development with Omar. I think that he does a fine job at that. It was about running an organization. Omar couldn't do that. That wasn't his role. He was miscast 
in that role. He was uh, he was much better as a secondary piece in an organization than as somebody who could run the entire organization, and that's what Sandy Alderson is doing. But what Sandy Alderson has done with the Mets since he took over is provide them the depth they need. And then we've talked about it ad nauseum. Robert Gazelman, Seth Lugo, TJ Rivera, just some names that helped them get to the playoffs this year. Now, if you uh, listen to ESPN, the Mets have a little bit more in the system coming. Keith Law of ESPN, who used to work in the Toronto Blue Jays front office, came out this week and did his farm system rankings, and the Mets were the seventh best farm system in baseball. And that's a big deal when you're a top 10. Now, whether you're 10, you know, 7, 10, 12, whatever you agree, you've always heard about how great the Braves and the Yankees system is. Uh, teams like the Padres trying to rebuild the Pirates, the Dodgers always seem to have a good system. But the Mets are being put amongst those teams in the top 10. Now, a lot of that has to do with the obvious. Ahmed Rosario, uh, shortstop, high ceiling. A lot of people compare him to Reyes. Dominic Smith, first-round pick. 2013, out of high school, 18 years old, is starting to develop power to complement that gold glove level defense that he has at first base, lefty swing. Of course, that's going to come into play here when it, when the Mets are ranked in the top 10. However, you have guys like Justin Dunn, Thomas Zizbuki, who pl- pitched for the Brooklyn Cyclones, uh, you know, Peter Alonzo, uh, uh, a lefty, uh, righty hitting first baseman who has some pop that's getting some uh, some play. There's so much more there uh, in the system that we could talk about that, you know, essentially, uh, you know, makes this more about just Rosario and Dominic Smith. And who better to do that with than Michael Mayer? Michael Mayer of MetsMarizedOnline.com, MetsMiners.net. He's going to talk a little bit about his reaction to the law ranking. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Mets system maybe some of the players that can help them. And here's more importantly. Now, I think that signing Jerry Blevins is important. I think they can play a little bit fast and loose with the righty reliever, and we'll talk about some of those names uh, in the system. Uh, Paul Sewold is one name that comes up a little bit that potentially um, can be an arm that maybe makes you forget a Fernando Salas or makes you not worry about the Mets not going out and getting a righty reliever. Uh, there is a name called uh, Roseboom that you'll hear about in a little bit uh, from a lefty perspective. But I think the Mets, if they sign a lefty reliever, I think that's going to help out a lot, make me feel a lot better about the roster. I think the Bruce situation is a little clumsy, but you'll deal with it regardless because it's not a bad thing having too many power hitters. But ultimately, I think when we get into the piece, we get into talking to Michael Mayer after the break, that you'll see the Mets have some pieces that can make this bullpen, not named Zach Wheeler, pretty good. And when you have those at a value uh, equation, meaning low cost, high upside, at the best years of their career, usually those first three to six years, hopefully they stay healthy, you don't have to go out and spend a lot of money. And they have a budget. Like it or not, they have a budget. You don't have to go out and maybe overpay at the deadline and give up a top prospect for a reliever because that could always be dangerous. You could always give up somebody. Look, you always go back. The Boston Red Sox needed a reliever in 1990. Larry Anderson was having an awesome year for the Houston Astros. Veteran righty, very good reliever. And they gave up a prospect named Jeff Bagwell. And the rest is history. Jeff Bagwell, of course, was elected to the Hall of Fame this week. So anyway, let's get to it. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, Michael Mayer, MetsMiners.net, MetsRiseOnline.com. Let's go through this Keith Law ranking, kind of where the Mets built to it. I I mean, there's so many great names that we could talk about. We're not going to get to all of them. 
But I think the important piece is let's get a feel. Can the Mets, does the Mets system deserve this ranking? What is Michael's thoughts? And can this ranking lead us to believe that maybe the Mets and their inactivity uh, is not necessarily the death knell that everybody in the media makes it out to be? You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can check out the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. And if you want me to be on one, I'll try to make it happen. We'll be right back. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back, Talking Mets, and uh, joining me is from MetsmerizedOnline.com, Michael Mayer. You guys know Michael. He does all the minor league analysis or most or large part of it over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. He's uh, up in Maine at the Maine Mets, uh, coaches high school baseball, knows a ton about the process of where the Mets are trying to go with uh, the development of their players. Michael, uh, good morning. How are you? What's going on, man? I'm doing good, Mike. How you doing? Not bad, and I'll tell you what, Michael, let's get to your piece from earlier in the week that you basically summarized. Uh, Keith Law of ESPN, who, uh, I mean, there's so many minor league prospect lists. There's obviously Baseball America, uh, you know, Baseball Prospectus. I think we briefly touched on that last time, last year when you came on. You know, Metsmerized Online does their prospect list. I mean, that's that's something that I think gets everybody, well, baseball fans, baseball writers through the winter. But Laws tends to be... You know, he used to be in the uh, front office of the Toronto Blue Jays, one that everybody points to and looks to because of uh, his standing or, or, or where he was in baseball. And he was very kind to the Mets, giving them a top 10 ranking. I'm a little surprised. You're probably not. Uh, I mean, a lot of the media narrative has been the Mets have uh, obviously cleaned out their system to get to where they're at. You know, were you surprised of how highly Keith Law thought of the Mets farm system in his recent uh, releases, the recent ranking? I was a little surprised, um, not because I don't think they deserve the ranking, more so the Mets haven't really got the respect I think they deserve in recent years when it comes to things like this. And I still, I've been telling people the last couple months, I figured they they would be close to top 10, maybe like in the 8 to 12 range. So seven seven's uh, a little bit higher. But so I overall, I was a little surprised, but I think, I think it's good for Mets fans to see it, someone like Law to give them that type of ranking so that they uh, – it's another voice. And like you said, he's a well-respected person when it comes to prospects. So it's uh, it holds a lot of weight to see someone like that rank them that high. And the two players, and, and the one that's been getting the most attention, not only on Twitter 
but also from the media, is that Med Rosario and Dominic Smith. Now, Dominic Smith was a first-round pick. Rosario, in, in, in probably the last year, has been getting a lot of, of media on a, on a wider scale. I look at it this way. I don't know what either one of those guys are going to be. I've heard a lot of mixed reviews on Dominic Smith of what people think he can be. I think Rosario's seal. I think it, the, the way it was described, his ceiling and his floor is maybe a little bit higher. Rosario, and I know that this is a lazy media narrative, but Rosario, a lot of the hype, a lot of what you see, the way he comports himself, reminds me a lot of Reyes going back 15 years ago. Uh, Dominic Smith, uh, I don't know what to make of him. I know there was a lot of mixed reviews on that. But regardless, it's quite possible by midseason of this year, July, August, if they don't trade these guys, and I don't think they will, you may have a first baseman that could step in and play on a starter level and uh, a shortstop, or maybe you know he moves to third or second. I know they're thinking about that, who can play at a high level at a premium position. Two starters, that's big time that you can you can insert those two kind of players if it all works out into a lineup. Not many teams can say that offensively. No, and my, I mean, that's a pretty big reason why the ranking is so high because law – Everyone's high on Rosario, so that's he's a top ten prospect in all of baseball. So that's going to carry a lot of weight when you're doing these rankings. And Law has been um, traditionally higher on Smith than uh, most people, so that that's another reason for the high ranks. I think, like you said, I think not that they'll be in the major leagues, but I think they could be ready to be in the major leagues and be major league average players later this year. And part of the reason for that is because they're both plus defenders. So even if they're they're not hitting like you think they might in the next two or three years, they're going to hold some value because they're both great defenders at two important positions. Rosario, for the fans that don't follow the prospects, you know, I'm looking at his numbers. Is this a guy? I don't think. I mean, he hasn't shown power yet. He's still very young, 20 years old. Um, is he an average guy that'll hit maybe five to ten home runs? Uh, obviously, plus defender. I mean, is there a comp for those who don't, who are listening, who may not be that savvy about the system and evaluating prospects? Is there a comp or someone that they would know a name they would know that, as fair as you can be, because this is such a hard question, that Rosario would be uh, would be would be a comp to? Let's put it that way. I mean, some people because it's easy. And they know him as Mets fans. Some people comp him to Reyes because when Reyes was coming up, he had the speed. He was a good defender. He had a little bit of that pop. So that's that's one comp that they get. I don't think Rosario is ever going to steal 50 bases, um, but that's one comp. Another one that I've seen or heard recently is um, Elvis Andrews. And because Andrews, I mean, a lot of his value comes from his defense. Um, Hopefully a better hitter think, than Andrews, put it that way. Yeah, a I, think, hitter, though. I think r- realistically his his floor is more of Elvis Andrews, where Andrews is still a quality player because of what he does on defense. And another one that he gets compared to a little bit is uh, Francisco Lindor of the Indians. Uh, he's got that type of offensive potential, I think Rosario does. And that, that's why you see him in the top ten listings, because Rosario, he's he's going to hold a ton of value in his defense, even if he struggles offensively, which I really don't think he's going to. He's, I mean, I don't. He's never going to be a 20-home run guy, I don't think, but he's going to hit 
could hit 12 to 16 home runs. He's going to have 30 doubles, seven or eight triples a year. He's going to have that slugging around 420, 430, which is, I mean, you're looking pretty good when you're talking a shortstop with a slugging percentage like that. That plays good defense. I should apologize to Elvis Andrews. You know, yeah, there's been a lot of 650 OPS seasons the last three years, but he had an 800 OPS this year. I mean, eight home runs. I mean, being a National League team, covering a National League team, watching National League baseball, sometimes the American League, especially when you get Texas and the West Coast teams, you don't pay as much attention to. Andrews has developed. Now, he's 27 years old. He came up when he was 20. Um, you know, you that's actually an interesting comp, Michael, because you look at Andrews, he uh, he's always been very good defensively, but he had to learn. Uh, and you got to think at 21, Rosario probably will be in the big leagues unless something happens. He's always, you know, Andrews has always been a decent on base guy. So it's interesting when you look at uh, Andrews through 2015, the below league average offensive numbers, uh, you know, that's going to be considered a disappointment here in New York. It, that's going to play into this. I mean, those are pretty decent if you fit him in the lineup and you have offense around a, a Rosario, and he's allowed to develop the Andrews uh, career path, as long as Andrews continues to play at the level he played in 2016, that's not a bad thing to sign up for. Although I think the, the New York fans won't be as happy because it'll be looked at as a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at his uh, war on baseball reference, I mean, even in some of the years that he struggled offensively, he was still a, a four-win of of uh, average player because of his defense, and he steals bases too because he averages uh, 32 stolen bases a year. So that's and I'm so big there. on up the middle defense. I'm so I think yeah. it's so important. I think I think fans underrated. I know it's a cliche. Center field catcher, shortstop. I think makes such a big difference when you have elite defenders right there. And the Mets have had those players over the course of the last two decades, and 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 not complete players, unfortunately, with the Ardoñezes. Of the world, but I think it's such a big difference. I, I think we, I think we underestimate it to a certain degree. Oh, I absolutely, and I mean that's why the Mets threw money at Lagares and gave him a, an extension at one point because they valued his defense so high in center field and was hoping the bat was kind of going to come around. Obviously, we know the the bat didn't, and he's battled injuries, but that's part of the reason why he got the extension he did is because of the defense and how important it is in center field. And that's part of the reason why they felt like they went out and got his dribble Cabrera last year. He's not a gold glover by any means, but he, I mean, he, he's better at shortstop than uh, Wilmer Flores is. That's for sure. Absolutely. I have Michael Mayer with me at the main Mets, uh, covers minor league baseball for MetsMarizOnline.com. Does a great job. We're talking about the news that came out this week, a really slow news week, uh, in general, slow news month for the Mets outside of some of the Hall of Fame stuff we've talked about. But these prospect rankings really are good mental bubblegum to get us to, to pitchers and catchers when I think the news will, will pick up. Uh, we talked about Rosario uh, dominant. Before we get to there's other little nuggets. It's not just about Rosario and Smith, but these are the two guys that are really weighing in on this very aggressive ranking ESPN has given the Mets farm system. Uh, Dominic Smith, I, I, again, when he was drafted, he was young, he was 18, um, you know, a lot of fans, a lot of members of the media like to see a college player, the Chris Bryant of the world, that could jump in in a year, two years, make an impact. That wasn't Dominic Smith. You know, the Mets were coming off at a couple of years earlier from drafting Brandon Nimmo, another high school player who we'll see what he is, but I don't know if Nimmo's ever going to be uh, a starter. 
And there was some skepticism. Wasn't hitting with power. We knew the glove. And, uh, you know, a couple of years into this, people were saying that this is potentially a bust. You know, I had one guy, you know, who, who covers and scouts a little bit, say it's probably the one guy in the top 12 that probably will never see the major leagues. I think that that may be a bit of a, of a stretch because now you look at him, age 21, hit over 300 last year, um, you know, has a solid on-base percentage, uh, you know, hits hits for, for the power in the gap, hits for power, 14 home runs, drove in over 90 runs in 130 games. That, that's very good in the minor leagues uh, for a short schedule, OPS over 800. Lucas Dude is not going to be here forever. We don't know if Lucas Dude is going to be healthy. To me, this is the heir apparent. And I've, I've, and I'll, and I know I'm long-winded about this, but I used to value first base defense a lot more. And as time has gone on, and with advanced metrics, you don't need maybe Keith Hernandez at first base, but it sure as heck doesn't hurt when you have a guy who can hit, hit with power, has an elite glove. Uh, he saves a lot of errors in that way. Uh, you know, it's a lot better than having Doug Mankiewicz there, who wasn't really a great hitter. Let's put it, let's put it that way. Yeah, I think I, I like Smith, and I'm higher than on him, higher on him than some. I saw him play a couple times in person this year. I actually had a chance to do an interview with him, and you could tell that he, he was aware of people talking about the power and stuff, but he. He didn't let it change him. He was going to let the power come naturally, and it did. It came. He hit more home runs this year than he had hit in his entire career, and it was he was pulling the ball with a little more authority, which was something scouts had questioned. Um, he was also lo- he got more loft on a little more loft on his swing. So, and I think it's, as he continues to. Um, mature i think he's he's never he's never going to be a lucas duda power guy he's not going to hit 25 30 home runs but with his defense at first which is already gold glove caliber i've talked to guys that play in the infield with him philip evans and a couple other guys from that infield that they don't even worry about their throws that much because they know even if it's in the dirt smith's going to get it because he's just a vacuum over there defensively and but getting back to the power, I think it, it's something that's going to develop. He's, I think he'll be a 15 to 18 home run guy at the major league level, and he's going to hit for average. He doesn't strike out a ton, so I don't. He's. I still see him as the Mets' long-term answer at first base, in my opinion. Another lazy media comparison, but can we use the name John Olerud offensively? And then you think about this defensively. Olerud was very. Under uh, underappreciated, I think, nationally, defensively. That 1999, quote-unquote, best infield ever wasn't the best infield ever the, the following year when Todd Zeal was at first base. I think Oldwood had a little bit to do with that. Uh, what about that comp, and, and do you have a comp for, for Smith, for those that, that kind of need that to wrap their head around what kind of player they may be seeing at City Field in another year or so? One One guy that I always think of, about what Smith could be in the majors is Mark Grace. He's one guy I think of because Grace was good defensively. He uh, got on base. He didn't strike out much. He hit the 12 to 15 home runs. He had the 30 doubles. That's that's a guy that I compare him to. And Grace hit the ball all, to all fields, and that's something Smith already does. He hits the ball with authority the other way as well. So. 
I I would more compare him to um, Mark Grace. I have with me Michael Mayer. He is uh, the individual who, if you go to MetsMarsOnline.com, does a lot of the prospect analysis. He does a great job over there at the main Mets on uh, Twitter. Before I get to, because I think the pitching is a big thing, and I think it plays into this year's team, some of the names that were brought up on this uh, you know, Mets system and why the Mets system was, is, is uh, a lot stronger than people give credit to. The international market is a big part of development. Uh, it's a big part of teams now, especially with the collective bargaining agreement, restocking their farm system. It's strategic now as much as anything. Uh, Law mentions two high-ceiling players, and it's so hard because when you get into the international market, these guys sign when they're 16. I mean, Wilmer Flores, we've been talking about Wilmer Flores for over a decade, Mets fans. It seems like he's been here forever, and he's still such a young guy. And I feel like these guys become busts so quick because of the media coverage because if they're not not producing by the age of 18, geez, oh, oh, he stinks, this and that. And uh, we forget they're coming from a different country. They're learning uh, a language. They're the meal, the you know, the environment. I mean, there's just so much. And let's face it, a lot of these guys are coming from poor countries where they're playing baseball. There's no structure. Now there's academies and whatnot. But he brings up Andres Jimenez and Gregory Guerrero, a couple of names. How are the Mets? You know, if you could give the listeners an idea, how are they approaching the international uh, uh, situation? Are those the names that stand out to you? that are names to look for over the next few years as potential high-ceiling or impact uh, players in the Mets system from an international perspective? Yeah, Jimenez is someone that I am high on personally, and a lot of our staff at Mets Miners, when we talk about him, is it's all glowing. He, We actually had him in our top ten ranking. Um, I mean, you're talking about a, a kid – a shortstop that uh, when the Mets signed him was said to be the best hitter out of Venezuela when they signed him. And he's already shown great plate discipline, um, a little bit of power. I mean, that'll come more. And he's six hes six feet tall and only 165 pounds right now. But that's, I mean, that's something he'll, he'll grow into. I mean, I, I don't care what level you're playing at. He was 17 last year. And he had 46 walks and only 22 strikeouts. I mean, no matter where you are, that's going to jump out at you. And Jimenez, he is—he's the higher ceiling guy, and then Guerrero. Although Guerrero got more money, but um, Guerrero, I think his potential—I think he ultimately goes to third base. But I think he might have a little more power than Jimenez. But there's a little more. Um, swing and miss in his game, but again, he's he's another high-ceiling guy that the Mets went out and got in 2015 that it, it really didn't get talked about much in mainstream Mets media or from the beat, or, which is kind of crazy when you talk about they how much they cover draft guys. Um, I mean, these were two of the best guys in that 2015 class in all of baseball, and uh, the Mets got both of them. And, I mean, they're reaping some early benefits, especially with Jimenez, who had a a great year in the, the Dominican last year. And he will come stateside this year. And either he could start his stateside career with the Kingsport Mets in the uh, Appalachian League. One of the 
other components of of this list is uh, the high end arms. The Mets have always been known for arms throughout their history. I hate to use the word it's getting late early for the current crop of Mets starters. I think that's a, another narrative that's going to be played out because of the injuries. But I mean, just two years ago, these guys were the talk of the town. They're in the World Series. But from a financial perspective, with the money that's being thrown around, Harvey's going to be a free agent sooner rather than later. Uh, yes, they have uh, DeGrom and Syndergaard under control, but now they're getting into arbitration years soon. They're going to become expensive. Same thing with Mats. Uh, Thomas Zespuki and Justin Dunn are two names that came up on this uh, farm system ranking. Uh, are these guys that if you look, if, if you know, and we don't know, you know what they're going to be. They may not be as good as Harvey. Maybe they're not going to be as good as uh, the current guys, but you know, you don't know what these current guys, what their ceiling is, because they really, I don't know if they've hit it yet consistently. Is it fair to say that you feel confident that as we get into the free agent high dollar years of some of the current Mets starters, that the Mets could sit back and then say, okay, we'll let Harvey walk. Maybe they trade a, a DeGrom or a Mats as they get expensive. And they feel confident that these two guys can give them similar, if not better performance at an affordable, controllable rate uh, than the current group. I mean, is that is that the way you would go? Or better yet, as they contend this year, you may use those guys. And I don't think they want to just trade away pitching capriciously, but you may use those guys to upgrade the roster if you feel you have a real shot at winning the championship. Well, how, you know, it's a couple of tiered question here. But how would how would you see this going, and what would you do? I think eventually you'll see the Mets cash in on one of those starters once they get closer to free agent free agency, I think you'll see Alderson try to cash in and um, get some prospects, or maybe at that point they're desperate for a center fielder. But I like Dunn and I like Sapuki, and I think both of those guys, with a little refinement, uh, Sapuki more in his mechanics, and Dunn, he he was a reliever in college some, so I think they just need to get him stretched out. I think both of those guys you proje- I would project both of them right now as major major league starters. And I think that gives Alderson a little confidence um, when it comes to, oh, we have guys like this in our farm system that we drafted, that, and there's no reason for him not to feel comfortable about them developing pitching with what they've done. Uh, the starters we just talked about, they developed, and then you still have guys like uh, Matt Bowman, John Gantt, uh, Michael Fulmer, who was the AL sure. Rookie of the Year, all guys that the Mets developed before they traded them, and they're at the major league level. So, And outside of those, you have guys like Chris Flexen and uh, Marcus Molina, who they added to the 40-man roster this offseason, that both of those guys will be in Binghamton at some point this year. So they're right around the corner, and the Mets obviously felt highly enough of them to put them on the 40-man roster that they think – they can help in the somewhat near future at the big league level. So I think I think Alderson, he's comfortable with the amount of pitching they still have despite trading away guys. I still think I, – I don't think he'll trade Dunn or Sabuki, but I think he has enough other talented arms in the minor leagues if they need to make a deal again this uh, this summer that he, he can go out and trade a couple of prospects and still have guys like Dunn and Sabuki who – he thinks will be starters in the major leagues at some point. So it's it's crazy it's crazy how much pitching depth the Mets 
still have, given the young starters they have at the major leagues the guy and the guys they traded, they it's still loaded. They have a ton of arms. And everybody's, uh, you know, from a national perspective, learning that after uh... – I mean, and rightfully so. The Yankees made some very good moves in in the uh, in season, and they've they've done something they haven't done in a while, which is really build up not a uh, a pumped up system, maybe like what they had back you know ten five ten years ago, but seems like a really solid system. You know what you just said plays a lot into my next question, or my you know my next observation slash question is that I look at the free agent market for relievers. Uh, I see a lot of the two year deals for relievers that. I would say could turn into another Frank Francisco, although the Mets could really use a, a veteran righty reliever and a veteran lefty because I think it's important, even though they have lefties. I'm surprised that Jerry Blevins hasn't signed with anybody with the three-year deals being given out, which makes me wonder if perhaps there's something there where the Mets are working with him, trying to trade Bruce. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to stay optimistic because I think Blevins is somebody – uh, that they could use a veteran lefty uh, with experience uh, for a contending team is just so important. And then they have secondary lefties like Edgin, like Smoker, who we're, I'm less sure about uh, as promising as they are. That could be the second lefty in the bullpen. With that said, first, do you think that Blevins has a future here? Do you think they, they, they there's something there to, uh, with him maybe coming back? But if not, there is someone David Roseboom who is a lefty that potentially could you know he's playing at Binghamton. He has uh, he splits, I think it was about 140 against left-handed uh, hitters, a 111 ERA. Do you feel confident on the second part of that question that the Mets can survive with the lefties they have, especially the young ones? And is Roseboom someone that you, the, the fans should be looking towards this spring and, and maybe in season? I'll hit on Roseboom first. I like Roseboom. He throws a couple of different change-ups um, that helps him get lefties and righties out. Uh, he's not going to blow any. He's not smoker. He's not going to blow anyone away with the fastballs. It's in the lower 90s, but he attacks hitters, throws strikes. I think, I think he's absolutely someone we see at some point this year. But I still, I'm still holding out hope for Blevins more so now that we're we're almost hitting February and he doesn't have a deal. It's been so and, weird, Michael. The the whole Blevins market. I'm shocked that no one signed him. I mean, they're given. Uh, you know, Michael Dunn three-year deal. Blevins is just as good as him. I, if I'm choosing a guy to give a three-year deal to, it's Jerry Blevins, not Mike Dunn. So that surprised me a lot. And then you still have Boone Logan that's still available. So you still have two very viable lefties. And that's not even without mentioning Travis Wood from the Cubs, who was very good against lefties last year and can start too. So I know Alderson's got a gotten a ton of flack from media and fans alike for kind of what they think is sitting on his hands. But, I mean, those three guys I just mentioned are all very good relievers and still on the market. So why should he be in a rush? I mean, when you still have those guys available, and then there's J.P. Howell and Javier Lopez, too, who are two uh, veteran decent options. And that's that's on the left-handed side. I mean, Fernando Salas is still a free agent, so... Who says he doesn't re-sign with the Mets? And he was very good down the stretch for them and could fill in the seventh, eighth inning role, eighth inning when Reed's closing. And I I still – I would be shocked if Alderson doesn't bring in a lefty and a righty. I, I think he still does. And whether that depends on the Bruce trade or not, he's recently said it didn't money-wise. 
Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. But I, I still think they add add two guys. I like Smoker a lot. Uh, he's got a big fastball, and I like his split change. But I just I worry about just assuming he's going to be that loogie type guy. He's always been sure. since he returned from arm injuries. He's been better against righties. So um, I, I think it would help to have Blevins and kind of Smoker kind of be that second lefty. And you need that in the National League East with Harper and Freeman. You're going to sp- face those teams a, a ton of times. You mentioned Paul Sewald earlier in the offseason and Kevin McGowan. Those are two. See, I'm I'm of the, the belief. I agree with you. I love Fernando Salas back. I don't know, you know what that market's all about. And, and I'm a lot more comfortable going into spring training with the righty scenario playing through the system than the lefty. Because the lefty to me is just so hard to get, so important. And you don't want to have to overpay for somebody in season. Uh, but you have Paul Sewald, you have Kevin McGowan, uh, a couple of names. And Sewald was a guy that we both talked about maybe the Mets losing in the Rule 5 draft. I mean, way more strikeouts than innings. Uh, had good numbers last year. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm bringing him up right now. It was at Vegas last year. Yes, at Vegas last year. You know, you don't have 11 strikeouts per nine, uh, three, 3.29 ERA, reliever or not, in Vegas if you stink. Let me tell you that. Those are good numbers for the Pacific Coast League. There's a guy that maybe instead of a Salas they look for, more affordable. So I'm a little bit more comfortable from the right-handed perspective than the left-handed perspective playing it from the farm system. Is that is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, I think I think they have more depth there from the right, right-handed standpoint. Like you said with Seawald, I, I like Seawald. I would be perfectly comfortable with him being a six- Six middle, six seventh inning reliever, um, getting a chance there. Like you mentioned, uh, Kevin McGowan, a big kid that they moved to the bullpen last year. He's got a big fastball, ninety six, ninety seven. Um, he pitched much better out of the pen. He had been a starter before. Um, another guy that I, another righty that I would keep an eye on is Corey Taylor. Uh, he pitched in the Arizona Fall League this year and looked great. He was actually showed a little more velocity. He was hitting ninety six and showing off some more movement on his slider, too. They, one guy I talked to called it a major league slider right now, and this is a guy they drafted just two years ago in Corey Taylor, but his minor league ERA is 1.77, and uh, he's only allowed two home runs in 71 innings in his career. So I think he's going to start in Binghamton, but I think he's a guy to watch out for this year in the Mets bullpen, too. He's definitely someone you could see get a chance. And if you go to Baseball Reference, and those who are listening, just go through some of the names that Michael and I have been bringing up. These aren't first and second round picks, a lot of these guys. Some of these guys are in the 17th round. Uh, The Mets have done a good job under this regime. And I could be critical of Alderson, and it's so aggravating sometimes. I think we overvalue prospects. It's about, I mean, it's an important part of the piece of winning a championship, but you get to the point where it's about winning now in some cases, responsibly, of course. But the Mets have done such a good job, and I know Deep Podesta is not part of this, but he's got to get credit for some of these guys because they were around, a lot of them when he was still around, of finding good value later in the draft. And I think that's why you see what you see in terms of the depth, not just the first and second round picks because they haven't been terrible enough to be in the top five even when they were rebuilding. They were a 75-win team. That's not collapsing. Um, you know, you could argue that some of those Mets teams that weren't so great could have done a little bit better in the regular season if they had some reinforcements and support. So it really is a testament to their process, to their philosophy. 
And uh, they don't get a lot of credit for it, you know, because there's not that flash. There's not that Clint Frazier, maybe, or so on and so forth. No, I I think that is part of the, the law thing is the respect that they're going to start getting in that area. Um, ju- uh, just last year, did the Mets make the playoffs without Gazelman or Seth Lugo? No, they don't. Nope. And they were they were both in the same draft. Uh, Gazelman was a 13th rounder. And Lugo was a thirty-fourth rounder, so they've gotten some val- they've gotten some value outside of the first couple of rounds. And that same draft, they drafted Nimmo, who we saw at the major league level last year. He provided some value. Had a couple of big pinch hits down the stretch. And Fulmer was in the same draft. And the Mets don't have Cespedes without Michael Fulmer. So I think, I think. Alderson's going to start getting some credit for his drafts, and I think even more so once you see guys like Smith and we saw Cicchini last year at the major league level. So, and I just I think sometimes people worry more about who they didn't take than who they actually took. Sure. The Mets have got a ton of value out of pitching. I've, I mean, Robert Whalen, who they they traded last year for uh, two years ago for Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe was a 12th round pick. Um, John Gant, who they traded in the same thing, was even a later pick. They've he's found value even if it isn't at on their team to use these picks to try to help them. So I think I think um, Alderson, Di Podesta when he was here, um, Tommy Tanuis now who is the the head of the amateur scouting. I think they've done a great job in building up this system and it it's good to bring us back to the initial point. Bring, good that uh laws finally recognized that and mentioned the drafts that they've uh, had and how it's helped them. Last question and I have with you Michael Mayer of uh, Mets Miners com at the main Mets. How comfortable after you, you know, we've gone through the system, you know what they have. Let's say no Jerry Bolt Levens. No Boone Logan, no righty reliever like Salas. They keep Bruce going into spring training. A little clumsy there in the outfield, but hey, listen, having too many power-hitting outfielders is not necessarily the worst thing in the world to have. How confident are you? How do you feel about the roster, assuming that nothing happens after today, after this, this podcast, that what the Mets are, they are? How do you feel about can they navigate the National League East um, with what they have in the system and what they have at the big league roster. How do you feel about the the roster right now? Um, I would be more confident if they added a bullpen arm or two, and I'm fully on board with um, trading Bruce in essence just so Conforto can play every day because I'm a huge Conforto fan. I think they messed with him a little bit last year, trying to get him to pull the ball more, and the wrist injury, it, I think, held him back. And you hope they don't do that to Dominic Smith. Not to interrupt, but I hope they don't do that with Dominic Smith. I should have brought that up earlier, but that's one thing that came to mind when we were talking about Dominic Smith is the Conforto, how they try to get him to you know, essentially be Daniel Murphy. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. And I kind of – I mean, the first thing you want to do is jump right on the Mets staff for being like, why the heck are they messing with this kid who is doing so great? But then, like you said, bringing up Daniel Murphy, Long got him pulling more, and now he's an MVP candidate. Uh, he got Asdrubal Cabrera pulling a little bit more, and now Cabrera almost hit a career high in home runs. Walker showed a ton more power with the Mets. So, I mean, it, it's worked with Long for certain players, but 
younger players like Conforto, who the ball to all fields, and like Smith, like we're talking about, they hit the ball to all fields naturally, and they both still have enough power to get by. So those those aren't guys that I'm going to push to pull more. Um, but the original point, I currently constructed, I think the Mets are a 85-86 win team, uh, fight for the wild card. I still think you need to add, I, w- I would say, Blevins is more important than Solace, maybe, because Blevins, he handled righties well last year, so he can kind of fill that seventh inning role if he, he's not going to just be a straight loogie. Um, but but to me, the biggest thing is, I, I know people like, some people have talked about having Bruce kind of as insurance if Conforto doesn't play well or if someone gets injured, but uh, I'm full aboard with trading him and at this point getting a couple of prospects back. I I'm on board with seeing Conforto play every day in right field. Uh, with you. Hey, listen, Michael, great stuff. You do great work. I always enjoy having you on. And uh, even in uh, times where it's not the dead of the offseason, uh, this stuff is fun to talk about. And like you said, this is such an important part of the process of getting to where a team needs to be that uh, there's a lot of nuggets that fans can take away to increase their enjoyment. So you have a good rest of the weekend, and we'll catch up soon, my friend. All righty? Awesome, Mike. Thanks for having me on. And that's Michael Mayer. You can check out Michael at MetsMiners.net, MetsMarsOnline.com. And may not be a big name, may not be Keith Law, may not be Matt Eddy of Baseball America, but this guy, you know, high school coach, really does his homework, really tries to talk to people and does a nice job covering the minors here. And, and we learn, and I've learned so much because when you do shows like this, it just, you know, you focus so much on the mainstream talking points for debate that's really what people want to listen to but if you really want to learn about the process and what this team is about you can't go to the papers you can't just go to the mainstream papers you have to dive into what this team is really doing or else what you have every week on a podcast is sandy alderson isn't spending money the will ponds this and that and surely the budget is an aggravating thing for mets fans but uh, i agree with michael i think um I, i'm a little more optimistic that the roster is a little bit better than 86 87 wins because I felt last year the roster was better than that. I thought there was some very poor bullpen management, and I think there was some outliers offensively. But I agree with him. I would feel a lot more comfortable with a Jerry Blevins, like I said in the open, uh, as as the loogie. I would try to figure out a way. I wouldn't go three years, if necessary, figure out a way to get him back. I'm willing to play a little fast and loose with the righty because there is some upside arms, but you know, experience and bullpen arms are very fickle, and you don't know. Just because you throw 95 in the minors and you strike at 11 per nine doesn't mean that you're going to be successful in the big league. So uh, interesting stuff from Michael. A little bit of a shorter segment this week, but we still had a lot of time. It's you know, I said it was going to be shorter, but <laughs> this thing always turns into almost an hour show. So anyway, I want to thank Michael Mayer. You can check him out at the main uh, Mets on Twitter. Of course, you could check this show out at MetsMarsedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. And you can check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever podcasting service you desire. Let me know if there's one that I'm not on, and I'll get to you on that. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your NFL Championship Sunday. See you next week.